This episode of Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is brought to you in part by Modern Empire Records, celebrating the release of the brand new record from the band Foxbat. It's called Due South. It's out everywhere where you get badass music on April 22nd. Download it. Buy it. Blast it. Uh, you won't be sorry. Don't go to sleep, mother. Don't go to sleep. And do me a favor. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. Well, what the hell are you saying, boss? You've lost half your body sleeping. I, I sleep pretty hard. Welcome to Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. We're here to talk about rumor and innuendo around your favorite songs and favorite artists. My name is Brian, and again, joining oh me... No, Medley's back, man. We're just gonna we're gonna make you get we're we're gonna put a little room here in the studio for you. Get you a cot. Yeah. Maybe get Wait you a small those, mini fridge. Wait for those checks to clear. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did I did I send that? I told you I sent that, right? Sure, I, I sent thought, it. But I checked the mail now and again. How how much are stamps now? I did the other day actually <laughs> have to pull out stamp. I, I had to Google how much a stamp was because I found like old stamps and I was like, how many of these do I have to put on an envelope? Right. Yeah. For it to be they enough. They don't say forever. They don't say forever anymore. And you need, the, the answer was two. I needed at least two of them. To, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't even know why I had these stamps. But anyway, uh, listen, we uh, thank you uh, for, for filling in for Murdoch again. He, yeah, is, uh, he has got some other things going on, but he will be back soon. But um, we're in good hands with Phil. Phil is, uh, is very knowledgeable in rock and roll, and we've enjoyed having you on to talk about things. Like last week, or in a recent episode, we talked. Uh, we ended up sort of talking about shock rockers. We talked about Marilyn Manson and uh, Alice yeah, Cooper. Yeah. Um, and it, the Wonder Years. Kind of <laughs> all, you know. <laughs> uh, it, 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 so this got me wondering about the origin of that subgenre. Like, at what point did somebody realize that they could lean into the scary parts of this thing that was emerging called rock and roll, right? Do you, have, do you have any ideas on who started us down this path? My initial thought was Screaming Jay Hawkins because it was a scary song. But I don't know much Screaming Jay Hawkins. T- tell, uh, me about, tell me about the song you're referring to. Uh, the CCR covered it. I put a spell on you. I put a crazy. spell on you. Um, okay, yeah. so first off, you're 100% correct. Ding, 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 ding. Okay. That is the guy who is sort of, people have decided, if we had to point to one person, we would point to him. He was born in 1929. Name, actually, Jalousy. J-A-L-A-C-Y. Wow. You can see why he's shortened it to J. Jalousy Hawkins. Uh, yes, and you already you hit it. Later, he will take on the moniker Screamin' J. I put a spell on you. Stop the things you do <laughs> What's up? I it's all about delivery with screaming Jim, yeah. man. It's yeah. it, it's interesting because he's actually like a decent singer. But yeah. he becomes known for this overextension. Um, okay. Screaming Jay Hawkins is a great subject for this show because he built his entire career around rumor and innuendo. <laughs> Stories he told about himself and his past. We're going to talk more about what he would do on stage to gain this Godfather of Shock Rock title. But what he did and what he said he did off stage is actually maybe more important. And it's definitely way more interesting. So. 
two source texts if you want to go deep on this. Here's, here's sort of the authorities on Screaming Jay Hawkins. There is a 2001 documentary made by a guy named Nicholas Triandifilitis. He's a hmm. Greek filmmaker. And he starts shooting this in 1999 while Jay is touring Greece. And it is called, cleverly, I Put a Spell on Me. Uh, all 100 minutes of it on YouTube. Wow. Links are in the show notes. Uh, restored from what I assume is a long-ago out-of-print DVD. And this is not a high-budget production, but it has a lot of access to Jay, and you get to hear him tell stories about himself. Hmm. Four months after this concert footage in this film was shot, so what they do is it's interview, interview with people, interview with him, interview with people, and then extended footage for like a half a song or something of him, all from this one concert. On this tour in Greece. So you get to see him still doing this shtick, you know, that he started in the 50s, almost 50 years later. And it's also interesting, like, are you a Jim Jarmusch fan? Do you know him? Jim yeah. The filmmaker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so so this isn't really part of the story we're going to talk about today, but it's worth mentioning because Jim Jarmusch is all over this documentary. And the reason is, in the 80s, he starts putting Screaming Jay Hawkins into his movies. So they have this... Oh, re- yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, right? It's just sort of this weird uh, reemergence that he makes into pop culture. So he... It, it, we'll get to the song, but it comes out in 57. So you're now looking at like 87? Okay. So like 30 wow. years later, he's doing these Jim Jarmusch movies. And so Jim Jarmusch is in this film a ton. Which is like just really wow. interesting. He's like, there's these yeah. him like sitting in this hotel room talking about screaming Jay. So, <laughs> um, screaming Jay. The other main source on him is this book called "I Put a Spell on You," not oh, "I Put a Spell on really Me." Really using it all. <laughs> they they really they've only got the one right, um, and it's by a guy named Steve Bergsman. Now this is much newer. It came out a couple years ago. And to give you a taste of the angle on this one, the blurb, like on the back of the book, calls Screamin' Jay, quote, a whirlwind performer, a lusty singer, a prolific songwriter, and a man who was a total stranger to the truth. Wow. The book, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, right? That's, that's yeah. quite the reputation. The book basically appears to exist just to cast doubt on pretty much everything Screamin' Jay says in the film. So it's like 18 years later, but yeah. it, it literally opens page one, fact checking like the opening scene of the film. That's great. <laughs> so there's these reoccurring stories. If you read anything about him, if you watch the film, yeah. there are claims that he makes. One of them is that he was adopted by Blackfoot Indians as a child. Okay. The book makes this seem unlikely, though. Like, if you just go read about him, like you will, this will be the thing that's what it's going to say. Yeah, Yeah, it will say that. Others include claims that he was a POW in a war, but he's a little unclear on which war. Well, you know, there there are stories that he faked. This is another famous story about him that he faked an ID and joined the army when he was thirteen. What? That seems a little suspect. Yeah. Now, it does look like, it's, it seems to be agreed upon, though, that he was in the Army maybe by the age of 16, so it's partially true. Okay. Though, mostly as a musical performer. Okay. Um, he also, Possibly. Yeah. He also brags in his liner notes about specific, bo- specific boxing competitions that he won in the late 40s, but there's, like, not records 
of these boxing competitions yeah. or ones that show up seem to prove otherwise, right? Like the hmm. there's no there's no jealousy Hawkins on these cards. Right, right. There's even suspicion around the reports you'll read that Jay's initial aspirations were around becoming an opera singer. That's another thing he says. Well, I was going to be an opera singer. <laughs> I mean, shoot for the moon. <laughs> Basically, if you Google Screaming Jay Hawkins and you just read Wikipedia or some short summary of his life, most of what you're going to read is going to be bullshit. Wow. Yeah. But Sounds like it. <laughs> what's not fake is that this guy wrote and performed a song that would go on to be covered by hundreds of huge and influential artists in huge and influential places. You already mentioned one. That's the one that comes to mind for you? Yeah, CCR. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard Nina Simone. Uh, Jeff mm-hmm. Beck. Brandy Carlisle. Okay. Buddy Guy. Okay. Joe Cocker. This is just a few. Annie yeah. Lennox. Toadies. Toadies have done a recorded what? version of that song? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Our guy Marilyn Manson, who started this oh. conversation, has done a version of that song. <laughs> In between scenes of The Wonder Years. But you really nailed on the one that is worth pointing out, which is not only did CCR cover this song, they covered it at Woodstock. Oh, did they? See, I didn't know that. Nah. So this song, written by Jalousy Hawkins, the man who has a million stories, got played at, you know, arguably the most important concert ever. So right. what the what is the story on this song? <laughs> the song started as a ballad about a woman he had strong feelings for and things went bad. This this is the version of the story that appears to be true, which is it was supposed to be he was he was sort of crooning. He was doing traditional songs. He wasn't out to be a, a joke man. Right, 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 right. And so he writes this tune, and it's slow. I put a spell on you. Right? Right. Now, they're in the studio, and he's working with this guy, Arnold Maxim, who hears the recording and insists, listen, if this song is going to work, and it's going to have that title, I put a spell on you. You got to make it stand out. Yeah, this song's yeah. got to be weird and scary. <laughs> so, but but he's in the studio trying to be a legit musician with legit musicians. He's got a good band, with right? Him, and they're all at a loss. So this guy, Arnold Maxim, orders fried chicken and hooch. This is the story. I'm just telling you. This is the story that is committed to the record to loosen the guys up. The legend of the song, Phil, goes that the very recording. It goes on to be considered one of the greatest pioneering songs of rock and roll of all time. It, it made the 500 list Rolling Stone. It's oh, yeah. played at Woodstock. Yeah. Was recorded while everyone was very, very inebriated. <laughs> and so inebriated, in fact, that Jay claimed, again, we don't know what we can trust out of Jay's mouth. Screaming Jay claims he does not remember the session. I remember it doesn't remember the session. I knew you were going to say that. That's great. (laughs) So get this. What happens if you record something and your guy Arnold comes back and says, this is brilliant. You guys were great last night and you don't remember it. What do you have to do? Uh, uh, You listen and then you replicate that for the rest of your life. You learn the song (laughs) from the recording you don't remember making. Right. And that is the legend of I put a spell on you. I love it. I love it. Now, didn't even remember it. We didn't. We didn't spend a lot of time on the clip. But if you get into that song, 
the thing that sort of crazy. Yeah, he goes crazy. The the thing that characterizes this song is the grunting and groaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he done this a little bit in other songs, but his blackout performance is next level. And the label <laughs> now has to figure out how to pitch this thing. They, there's sort of two choices: either they downplay the creepy, or they upsell the creepy. Yeah. Yeah. But they, all in or yeah, yeah they yeah. they end up sort of trying to do both. And it's strange. It doesn't really work to get it on the radio, but it does get passed around. Imagine that. Like, do you remember being in elementary school or middle school? And they, I don't know what the the album or the song or maybe it was a movie, but the item, the pop cultural item that you heard about, not yeah. that you heard, not that you saw, but that you heard about. Do you, does one right. come to mind for you? Ooh, uh, maybe. What was the what was the band record, the hip hop record? That one comes. Oh, to two mind. two live crew. Yeah, two live crew. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. That's a good one. Ne- never heard it. I've never heard any of it to this day. But it was <laughs> spoken about. <laughs> You're like, I don't know, like, man. It's too still too hot, too hot for me. <laughs> yeah. I miss my window of what I like to consume controversial content uh, i think i'm better off honestly I, you know <laughs> well you know really that's a really interesting we, you know we've never done a, a bedtime story about two live crew but I, sort of we probably should because there was a lot there in terms of pushing the envelope around sure, public sure. performance and public perception and hip-hop culture and all sorts of stuff so uh, i sure. think i think that's a great idea thank what, you okay but what about you so um great school i mean i was I was raised by a preacher, so everything was a little scary, right? Mm, that's true. Um, right. But I, there was definitely... I, I remember hearing about Two Live Crew. Here's one. I think mm-hmm. I've, I don't know if I've told this on the podcast before. I've told this to friends, for sure. So this is really strange. We're going we're gonna to diverge for a second from this. But okay. <laughs> I'm ready. So, Let's go. <laughs> so I learned about a lot of pop culture in the early 90s from reading about it in mm. Christian magazines that were preaching against it. Oh, So yeah. not only did I not hear it, I was hearing about it through a lens. So here's the one I really remember. I remember reading a record review in a Christian publication warning against the album 12 Play by R. Kelly. That is great. I think it's great that they went through the effort to do reviews. <laughs> oh, so this was a whole thing. I I would get this magazine. So this magazine would come to my sister. I think it was my sister's magazine. And in the back of it, there was this thing. There was this one page spread at the back where they w- they had this record reviewer who would review records for Christian youth and tell you like which ones were okay for Christian youth and which ones were not. It, this is a real thing. Like a, it almost sounds like a like an underground railroad to pop culture. <laughs> I think I, reference. I've, but you know I, what I'm saying? I've tried to explain this to people before, and I think Murdoch and I have had conversations about it probably in some context on one of our podcasts. But like, yeah, I 100%, I, I've had a conversation in the last year or two with my siblings about this. And specifically about the Sar Kelly example is a really good one. I also remember reading about Collective Soul because Christians were really interested in Collective Soul when they came out because there were a lot of spiritual... Yeah. things on that first record and on the second soul record was in their name you know soul was in their name shine <laughs> which was sort of a riff on yep you know on uh, yep. this little light of mine it was heaven mm-hmm. let your light shine down sure um i mean they i remember there was a christian rock radio station very briefly 
in a place where I was living, and they they would during that time, and they played Shine in regular rotation because yeah. yeah. it seemed like a song you could play at church. Sure. So I have this really weird relationship with this certain period of time where, like, I to your point about never hearing two live crew, I don't know that I've ever heard. 12 play by R. Kelly. I don't think I've yeah, ever gone back and listened yeah. to it. And now, definitely, <laughs> I think this reviewer was onto something about R. Kelly being a little too sexual, right? Perhaps. <laughs> <clears throat> but wait, I, I do, I remember him, and I was like 10 reading this. So, Matt, you have a 10 year old, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Imagine your 10 year old reading the phrase, oh my he named his album 12 play because it's three times four play. <laughs> Explaining the multiplication of it. And I also remember from this review that there was this very specific thing about how, and actually this may have been a combination. I remember reading that album review, but I also think I read a concert review at some point of R. Kelly's tour. And it may not have been in this publication. This may have been just in the regular newspaper. But I was I just remember being like flabbergasted that What is he, this R. Kelly stuff? He was dropped. In that tour, they brought him out. Like the, I guess the band would start playing, and they would bring him suspended from the ceiling in a box marked "horny," <laughs> like instead of "fragile." <laughs> and then they would drop him onto the stage, and he would jump out of it and start his first song. That blew my ten-year-old mind. Yeah, that's a lot to take on as a ten-year-old. <laughs> I'm trying to think about my ten-year-old right now. <laughs> reading uh, a concert review like that. Mine would just wouldn't engage with it. Or uh, like uh, yeah, mine would be like this is stupid. Yeah. I'm yeah. putting this down. Yeah. You were like this what is this? So, okay, so I, I bring all this up so that we can sort of laugh and have a have a good time thinking about what it would be like in the 50s to hear I put a spell on you and maybe be a teenager or a young teenager yeah. and to hear this guy basically sort of groaning and moaning. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not incredibly sexual but it's disconcerting right yeah. oh it's weird it's yeah it's it's jarring uh, yeah even now when i hear it i'm like man that guy <laughs> and and we haven't even gotten into the stage show side of this song so right. his first record's really confusing though so his first record is called at home with screaming jay hawkins and i i encourage a google like, you should look at the okay. album art because it looks like an Otis Redding record or something. And, and he's, he's like sitting on a couch, I bet. Yeah. And I think he's like laying on a carpet. And <laughs> do you know what else? You know what other songs are on there? Like, straight ahead versions of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot and Old Man River. Wow. Are on that wow. album. Wow. Old Man River. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't know anyone seriously recorded that song. So, <sighs> how does he find any success at all if the record label is doing this? They're, they're like, here's this weird song where you grunt and groan because you're blackout drunk, and then also here is a spiritual. Um, right. So, there's another guy that comes into the story, a guy who we have mentioned on this show before. And honestly, I always say deserves probably a whole subset of episodes about him because he's a huge presence and there's a lot, he pops up in a lot of stories. His name is Alan Freed. There you go. We're both radio guys. So yeah. we have an affinity for Alan Freed, even though he was a, I'm pretty sure he was a monster, like not a good person. No, I don't think he was. Uh, and, you know, and we've talked about him on the show in the context of being connected to Morris Levy, who also, pretty questionable guy. But. For the purposes of our story, Jay and Allen both from Cleveland, but in the right. mid in the mid fifties, Freed goes to New York. Okay, and he accents his radio show with these live productions he's doing in Brooklyn. 
And at the end of 56, he does a Christmas show and he puts Screaming Jay Hawkins on the bill. Now, that's hilarious to me, first off, <laughs> that it wasn't a Halloween show for what, right. w- w- because of what I'm about to tell you, that it was a Christmas show. This is probably the most famous story about Jay. This is the one that if you know anything or if you think you know something, when we started talking about Screaming Jay, this is the thing that's rattling around in your brain, most likely. Right, right. Uh, but the story goes that Alan had this vision of how to make Screaming Jay Hawkins really memorable to people at this show. <laughs> now, Jay had always been a rowdy and intense performer. He used, there is this story in the book where he used like an early version of a smoke machine that he made. Oh, wow. One of the first people that I can sort of track down that was doing this in the in the late 50s. And his delivery was really dramatic. So yeah. he, you remember those wind-up teeth? Yeah. There was like yeah, a yeah. toy in the 50s? Clapper. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So he would wind one of those up, and it would be dunk, 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 and he would like they'd be like screaming Jay Hawkins, and smoke his smoke machine would go off, and then he'd push the teeth out onto the stage. So in the smoke and in the noise, just this <laughs> these teeth rattle across the stage, and then and then the curtain would open, and in the documentary, there's people like explaining like being kids in the audience watching this and how it blew their mind. The curtain would open, and he would like hold the mic and he would then like turn and you can see, you can find old footage of this and his eyes. You'll read about his eyes. And if you see pictures of him, it's what makes him spooky because he would get his eyes real wide and he would whip around. I put a spell on you and he would make his eyes really big. It was a whole thing, right? It was, it was, it was vaudeville. It was vaudeville. Sure. Now freed challenges him to take this a step further. At this Christmas show, the the story that seems to be accepted as true is that Alan Freed, without even telling Screaming Jay, in advance of the show, has an actual coffin secured backstage. Yeah, on a Christmas show. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, death. Uh, Doesn't make sense, but go on, Alan. But, uh, guy, we were in radio. We yeah. know that this happened, where it was like, how do we take this to the next level? How do right. we make this country singer sell a bunch of soda? Like, you know, you're always trying right. to do something, right? Yeah. So he goes to Jay. The story goes that Alan goes to Jay and says, if you want to take this to the next level, and if you want to be the act that everyone's talking about after the show, you need to come out on stage in that coffin and then mm-hmm. come out of it and sing, I'll put a spell on you. Yeah. Now, like any reasonable black man, Jay tells him, hell no. He literally, he's famous for telling the story where he says, no black man willingly gets in a casket. Okay. So, (laughs) Freed pulls out a wad of cash. Remember, he's got that Morris Levy money, right? So he's he's corrupt as hell. He pulls out a wad of cash and he starts counting out bills to entice Jay. Now, at different points in his life, Jay will tell this story and he will act like there were thousands of dollars on the table. Most sources agree it was about 300 but still, okay. in 1957, that's, quite a bit of money. Yeah, it's a good amount of money. Regardless, Jay, that night, gets rolled out on stage in a casket. And it brings the place to a frenzy. Well, Huge sure. response. Twitter was going wild. <laughs> <laughs> OMFG! <laughs> Did you see SJH <laughs> jump from the... Okay, uh, so... This silly stunt will set an expectation that will follow Jay for the rest of his career. 
Oh, yeah. Now, eventually, he'll even add outlandish attire, and he'll put a bone through his nose. You'll see a lot of pictures of this. Yep. This is very controversial to everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people find his stage behavior spooky. Other people, like the NAACP, think he is doing a disservice to black folks in America. There is this great piece where Jay responds to the NAACP and their accusations against him, and he just tells them to shove it up their posteriors. <laughs> Literally. And then he says later he gets an invitation to join the NAACP from Sammy Davis Jr., and he tells them, quote, show me one thing you've ever done for black people, and I will join. And then he says, quote, I never heard from either one of them, Sammy Davis Jr. or NAACP again. <laughs> so that's just, that's there. That's on the record. There you just, go. I'm just that's, reading it. There you go. So Alan Freed puts Screamin' Jay on shows, and then he puts him on his own late 50s TV show that's short-lived. Do you know why it was short-lived? No. So I'm forgetting who the, uh, forgetting who that performer is. It's like a guy who's been sort of lost to the 50s, but it was a, it's a black guy. And yeah. there is a scene, well, it, during the show, like they would perform and then they would take turns, uh, you know, running around the set and dancing or whatever. And yeah, he's man. seen dancing with a, with a white woman. Oh. And it's like, it kills the show. Yeah. 1950s America. 1950s, yeah, there you go. Yeah. And then Alan Free tries to put Screaming Jay Hawkins in the movies. Now, do you know about the Alan Freed movies? There's like no, a whole series of no. these. In the late 50s, he gets this deal to make these films. And they're basically to sort of, I mean, part of the reason they do it is they're trying to sell rock and roll to America. So right. they're, they're trying to make it like, look, it's not scary. Um, and so they're, he does one with Bill Haley in the comments. There's, a, there's this whole bunch okay. of them. But it's really interesting right. stuff. But in one of them, he gets screaming Jay. Yeah. And they call the scene too controversial because Jay emerges in a loincloth and starts like chasing people. <laughs> and the whole point of these movies was to make rock not seem threatening <laughs> to parents. And so Jay is just doing the exact opposite. So his scene gets cut from the movie. He's never in these movies, but he's, Freed's trying to do whatever he can to to help Screaming Jay. This is the defining characteristic of Jay's career from here on. If you want him to do one thing, he is going to do the opposite. He is going to double down on yeah. every every single thing. One small example. He makes a song making fun of Chanel number no. five. This is like in the late fifties. And it's called Armpit Number no. Six. <laughs> you might be surprised to learn that radio wouldn't play it. Amazing. Uh, true story. Yeah. I couldn't find this song on any streaming service. So I went <laughs> really? to YouTube and I searched it. And the second result on YouTube was a woman pole dancing in her basement to this song, Arpit number six. <laughs> I feel like Screaming Jay is in his grave. Very like the opposite of rolling over in your grave. Like he's yeah. very happy. He's like thumbs right. upping in his grave right now. It's that's exactly what he, that's exactly right what he wants. 
And it's like literally labeled as woman pole dances in her basement to Screamin' Jay Hawkins song, armpit number six. Number six. I mean, you didn't oh, you didn't man. know another Screamin' Jay Hawkins song, like 99.9% of America. You didn't know armpit number six. You know there's another yeah, one. I know, right? There's a later uh, career song called Constipation Blues. Oh, oh. It's, it's about what you think it is. <laughs> yeah, it probably it follows the exact storyline I'm expecting. The, the rest of his life is full of extremes. He, yeah. he has this film career that I already mentioned with Jim Jarmusch in the 80s. He fronts a fuzz rock revival band like wow. for a while in the 90s. And they, or like, I think it's in the 80s, I think it starts in the 80s. And they like do his cat, I think they seek him out and then they do his catalog like as garage sort of and let him okay. play with him. For, yeah, yeah. Um, he records a bunch of stuff in the first four years in the 90s for this really small record label. Um, that you can you can now find that collection and hear all these songs that he did in the '90s. I mean, they, like he was doing all kinds of weird low budget stuff. Hmm. But I've actually given you all of this setup about all the half truths of Screaming Jay, so that you're adequately prepared to hear the question we're actually here to answer. <laughs> <laughs> this has all been set up. Despite all the other things we could be discussing. The story that actually now reverberates the most, nearly a hundred years since his birth and over two decades since his death, because I, I said he dies in 2000, yeah. are the claims that he was a womanizer. Actually, that's not really it. No, 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 no. no. I, I know where you're going. You know where I'm going? Do you know this about Screaming yes, Jay? Yes, because it's the only two things I know about Screaming <laughs> Jay. I put a spell on you, and the other is that he's fathered 7,000 kids. 75! 75. Okay. Well, 75 kids. Okay. So I was wondering if you were going to if you were going to get there before I got there, right? So this is the right. other thing. This is the other thing people know about Screaming Jay. They really do only know those two things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Now, let's start with the official things. Let's let's investigate this and see if it's true because it's sort of unbelievable, right? We've right. heard the guy. Now, we've heard the guy can he can weave a tail. He can be sure. convincing. Sure. But Let's start with the marriages. Fairly easy thing to verify. Looks like the official number is six. Okay. But he didn't like to get divorces. More okay. than more than once, he seemed to marry women without officially ending the marriage before, legally. Oh. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Details. <laughs> you know, he forgot to sign that. He marries Anna Mae first. And then yeah. he spends a long time with a woman named Jenny. Mm-hmm. And then, like, in the middle... so. There's an Ebony magazine photo with a caption from roughly 1957 showing him with a woman named Barbara, who the caption calls his fiance, but he's married and to he Anna May married. at this point. Oh! And Barbara never comes up anywhere else. She's just in this Ebony mag- magazine photo. It reminds me of, um, which I think is a riff on something that actually happened maybe to the Beatles or something, but in That Thing You Do, which is my favorite movie of all time, um, there's this whole, the. Have, do you know that movie? I know it, but I don't think I've seen it. Oh, it's, oh. But it's your favorite movie of all time? It's the greatest. Oh, uh, it's so good. But there's this whole thing where the lead singer, they, and I think this happened to John Lennon, and this is what they're riffing on, but like they go on television, and his girlfriend is backstage, and they're not engaged officially, but the guy doing the super on the different artists, as they're, or as the, on the different band members as they're singing and performing, they show the lead singer and they're like, careful girls, he's engaged. 
you know, and he uh, visibly gets upset while he's on camera right. because he's got this ego and he doesn't want to be tied down and all this sort of stuff, right? Um, right, 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 right. So, yeah, that's the Ebony, Ebony Magazine photo for <laughs> Screaming Jay Hawkins. Um, <laughs> so, one of the wives, I mean, I read so much about this guy. This book is crazy. I highly recommend the book. <laughs> one of the wives says he was an insomniac and was afraid of being alone. And as he got older, he kept marrying younger, partly because he needed someone to like take care of him and keep him company. Right, right. It's also pretty well documented that he was physically abusive. Right. So all in all, a very problematic character, right? His, sure. his last marriage happens in 99. He dies in 2000. And in the book that I keep referencing, I put a spell on you, there is some voice given to this idea that at the end, the last woman, a woman named Monique, might have actually been abusing him in some way, shape, or form. I, it, it's very, it's not really laid out, but it's sort of hinted right. at. And it did come to light that she sold off like a bunch of his stuff at some point a few years huh. before he died, like set up an auction in France because they were living in France and like sold off some of his vintage stuff. You know, while we're talking about his vintage stuff, this is another character, and this comes up on the show all the time, who it's a little unclear because, again, he sort of weaves tales, but it doesn't seem like he got very compensated for, I put a spell on you. Probably not. Yeah, I would venture to say just the time frame, 50s and then all the 60s and 70s bands covering, probably didn't make very much money. didn't make very much money. Now... The evidence would suggest, just hearing this story about how he was marrying women and not divorcing them and marrying other women, et cetera, et cetera, that he may have had more lovers than his six marriages. Uh, so that does add some validity to this idea that he may have fathered right. more children than officially attributed to him. Now, for the actual story, there is a woman named Meryl Nagolian. I'm very unclear as to how she sort of gets this position, but she ends up kind of being a biographer for Jay. Her career before and after, and I went to her LinkedIn page, her current LinkedIn page, is high finance. Oh. But there's this period at the end of the 90s where she is hanging out with Screaming Jay in his last few days of life. Okay. And it's still not even all the stuff that's out there about this particular part of the story, it's not explained who the hell she really is other than this woman who becomes his de facto biographer at some point she claims, or it's sort of assumed that he tells her that his dying wish is for his kids to meet. Okay. So it's barely the new millennium. It's the year 2000. You're a random woman who has been pushing checks around corporations like I, I don't understand how you get to where she gets and you're tasked by a dying man with this undertaking where do you turn she turns even in 2000 to the internet i was gonna say you put that on a website now it seems like it'd be fairly easy but she creates right. a website then and basically goes on a press tour and this is from a 2000 a year 2000 article in the chicago tribune Using the widely publicized website www.jayskids.com, I will tell you, it is not currently active. I've looked more than once. <laughs> just to make sure. <laughs> just to make sure. Nagolian was able to substantiate from a total of 2,500 submissions. Oh, my. She was able to substantiate three dozen 
36. Of the 75 children Hawkins claimed to have fathered. Wow. Sometimes in the, I love this, this hanging article or whatever the English term for it is, the, the way the sentence is structured. The identities of three dozen of the 75 children Hawkins claimed to have uh, claimed to have fathered, comma, sometimes in the most spontaneous of circumstances. What? <laughs> what is, well, you wait, know. What? Like, what's that based on? That's, <laughs> that's like R. You know. Kelly dropping out of a box labeled warning. It's going to haunt my dreams. What are you doing to me? So, oh, they're spontaneous. There is not... <laughs> Like he just runs in, <laughs> hey, does the act, honest. runs oh back out. You're having my kid. So there's a lot of intense science. There's not a lot of intense science on these substantiations, right? She tries to corroborate what she can by sort of looking at Jay's old stories and timing. But we all know that Jay's stories are heavily doctored. Right. And then there was no, gen- there was no like. They weren't. They testing. weren't really able to do genetic DNA testing. DNA and all right, that yeah, stuff. No. So or whatever. I, it was really interesting in in the research. Actually, near the end of my research, I found a piece from the poet and writer Hanif Adurakib. I do you know him at all? No. Okay, no, so no. he wrote a book about Tribe Called Quest, and he wrote another book last year. He's a poet, but he's also like a writer, and he writes a lot about music. Okay. Really interesting, smart guy from Middle America. I believe he's from Columbus, Ohio. And he did a piece for NPR in 2020 where he mentions that as a teenager in the year 2000, he and his friends, like, as a thing they would do on the weekends, would submit false information into this website. Oh, snap! (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, 2,500 submissions. I mean, they're mostly fake. And most of is this guy. <laughs> yeah, it's all Hanif. Who knew that he would end up being, a, you know, a, a voice of um, poetry in America. So, and we'll come back to that because it's a really interesting piece. Um, but despite all of that, this woman, Nagolian, finds 30 plus verifiable cases and she tries to plan some different get-togethers. There are articles in the show notes from the time period, which is really interesting, talking about this endeavor. There's a reporter at one particular gathering where five of them come together in 2001, so pretty quickly after his death. By 2006, there's another uh, get-together. This one's in L.A., and there's about 12 of them that get together. and they. It's interesting because reporters, when this is a news item 20 years ago, they spend time talking to any of these people who will talk. So folks from all over the world who appear to have this connection to Jay are like talking about screaming Jay Hawkins and like how they discovered him and you know what they heard from their mother about who their father was and all this stuff. Here's a sample from ABC News. ABC News from 2006. <laughs> With a dad like that, the kids might not be your typical suburbanites, but you can never tell. Um, Nagolian says two of the kids are in bands, one in Washington, the other in Calgary, and they have acts that would make their papa proud. I don't know what that means. But for many of the supposed children, the event at the Hard Rock Cafe, which is this event in 2006, is the closest they've come to a stage. Um, It's a little scary meeting a whole new family for the first time, but I'm really excited about it. I can't wait, says Melissa Ahuna, a 31-year-old hula dancer and hotel store manager and nurse. That's all one person. Okay. Hawkins had a high school yearbook photo of Ahuna in his Paris home at the time of his death. But the father and daughter lost contact in 1993. This is now 2006. 
He had been a presence in my life, Ahuna says. He'd call every few weeks when I was in high school, and he was proud of me. We always got along well. Ahuna is part Hawaiian, Chinese, Portuguese, and black. When this reunion comes off, it will be the first chance I've had to get in touch with my black roots, she says. I mean, it's it's just a really interesting time capsule thing here to look back 20 years and... ABC News was running stories about this? Yeah, that seems real sensational. <laughs> so how does or this... Or something? Yeah, or not yeah. a news story? I don't know. How does this end up shaking out? Adura Keeb in that 2020 piece on NPR that I just mentioned describes the effort like this. I was obsessed with the overall project of jayskids.com and the drama that swirled around the endeavor. Some of this was out of boredom as a music-loving teenager with nowhere to go. And he's in Ohio, and he knows Screaming Jay's from Ohio, right? So that's part of the right. thing. Okay. A reunion was promised and then put off as more children were confirmed. His fifth wife, Mary Lou Ahuna, who is obviously the woman we were just talking yeah. about, it's her mother, sure. was placed in charge of his estate at the time, which led to a legal battle with that sixth wife, who I said was selling his stuff off, Monique Hawkins. Oh, yeah, yeah. The kids themselves didn't seem to want any piece of their famous father's legacy, even as the number of confirmed kids grew to 15 and then 25 and then 33 before finally stalling out. It got harder to confirm what was and wasn't true. The media also began to move on cover other things yeah imagine that and so the website got laid to rest <laughs> and reports of a planned reunion fell out of the news cycle in performance and beyond it screaming jay hawkins this is an dura keep quote <clears throat> seemed like more of a series of ideas than anything else i like that <laughs> I, it's it's really interesting <laughs> i mean the other thing about this that's famously been noted is that no offspring of Jay go to the funeral. Zero. Huh. Even okay. the confirm and it's not like he didn't have some that were obviously confirmed and that he had a relationship with. Right. So in yeah. that he actually I mean he had six marriages, but like the first couple were fairly long. And like he was in contact with those people and he had several right. kids with the first one. And so they were around they, none of them came to the funeral. Well, you mentioned he might not have been the best of people. He yeah. I mean uh, I mean, you know, maybe that that probably played it. Very problematic guy. There's a lot of stuff to unpack here about how he was manipulated and sensationalized and sort of, you know, I mean, there's a there's a race element to this given yeah. when it happens and how he's yep. treated. The fact that he's, I mean, it's just sort of assumed he wasn't compensated much at all for this right. one piece of music that basically gets repurposed hundreds and hundreds of times but has still, to this day, has an indelible stamp on it from him. You know, this isn't a song that just, I don't think people hear this and think it's a CCR song. No. Yeah. I mean, they, I, I immediately go to that. And, and what's interesting is that like his music, it, it stops there for me. And I've been told to like, listen to it, you know, like this, all this stuff is crazy, you know, but I've never, never done any deep dives. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's rowdy. And like I said, the real interesting stuff is, I mean, because you, you and I remember this from the 90s and 2000s where there was this reemergence of these like current musicians wanting to resurrect the careers of these guys who were sort yes. of lost to history. Yeah. And he was one of them, right? But on this boutique mm -hmm. record label. And, and, you know, maybe this is where we end because when they put this out, the complete sessions 
it, it was it was on a label or an imprint called Bizarre. So it's the complete Bizarre Sessions from 1990 to 94. Hmm. In 2018, they put out the full set of albums that he recorded during this period, which is 44 songs. Wow. And they named the collection, Are You One of Jay's Kids? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Had to do that, so you know that's. Oh well, you know. I think that's. I think that's where we end. But I, I highly recommend if you, this guy. I mean, problematic figure, but a very interesting artifact um, who had a huge, huge influence on music. I mean, there is a direct line from him to Alice Cooper, New York oh, yeah. Dolls. Well, yeah. Marilyn Manson. Well, yeah. I mean, you you can you can draw it all the way to now to to bands like Ghost. So so when you mentioned like that was the gonna be, you know, we're gonna talk about shock rock, and I was thinking I was way off, um, but that was what first came to mind. But then I started I was like, no, I was like, then I kind of went into like Hendrix, lighting his guitar on fire, the Who, breaking sure. amplifiers, sure. And all that stuff. And then I was like, well, we just talked about Alice Cooper. Maybe he's going to go there. Because really, the one who really turned it into a, um, I don't know, maybe over the top would be Alice Cooper, I would think. I mean, you know, he kind of figured it, it out. It really it really starts to get traction with him. And there's elements of it with people who are much more mainstream, right? I mean, Black Sabbath, right. of course, sure. a great example of a band who has this sort of you know, attachment to Aleister Crowley and, you know, these, yeah. mm-hmm. all these sort of things that are floating around. Um, but I mean, these are certifiably sort of weird, spooky videos to go back and watch. If you <laughs> And there is a decent amount of it because of Alan Freed getting him on a visual medium. There's enough of it around. I mean, there's a lot of these guys, you know, we talked about guys like Larry Williams a few weeks ago who just, I mean, there's nothing out there about him anymore. Hardly. Um, right. Right. But and and Screamin' Jay ran with a group of really interesting people for a while who have all sort of I mean, we could do episodes on all of them because of sort of the idiosyncrasies of their careers and what happened to them. One of them was a member of the 27 Club, died in a car accident um, in 27. One of them uh, played Russian roulette. The story is that he played Russian roulette and shot his head off in front of a bunch of people um, on purpose. Um, there's, you know, there's this whole dark underbelly side of the emerging rock and roll scene at this time. Right. And screaming Jay has become the face of it that has, that has lingered for 50 and now, you know, nearly 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna say the fifties, my gosh, you start to do the math on that. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Really. Interesting. But it's, I think it's funny that, you know, uh, and, and I, th- I think maybe that uh, the whole kid thing was, I mean, again, I just was being told this by someone who was listening to his music a lot and was like, oh, and guess what? You know, of course, it was just kind of the dawn of the Internet, I guess, in some ways. Um, You know, you mentioned they use the website and stuff, but, you know. I mean, it fits. I, I, I it fits into things I remember about the guy, but you know, it fits into this templated rumors thing that we talked about, right? I mean, it does. Sort this is a. It, it makes sense to do these episodes close together because this is a thing that we like. Who else celebrity has a lot of kids? What comes to mind immediately for you? Mm, not musical. Not musical. 
Um. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm. I'm. So come on, give me one. Not I don't kids. Know. Not kids, but partners. <laughs> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Right. I don't know anything about. Oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah. But no, I remember. No, no. Or no, no. Will oh, Chamberlain. No, it's Will Chamberlain. It's Will yeah, Chamberlain. It's Will it. Chamberlain. Yeah. Right. 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 Will. Yeah. Sorry, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He just writes fan fiction about Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> That's a real thing. Um. What? Yeah. He writes books about Sherlock Holmes. There are okay. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Sherlock Holmes books that you can buy on Amazon. So. But Will okay. Chamberlain was like known for sure. for you know an absurd amount of women Partners. or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. So mm. that's the closest. But I mean, this is sort of a thing that you know sometimes follows the sex, drugs, and rock and roll moniker, right? And so it almost yeah. sounds yeah. unbelievable. But the fact that somebody actually tried to find seventy five kids and came up with thirty, I wonder how many she thought she was going to find. Well, and I wonder how many. I mean, I wonder how, how many, many are real, real versus, you know, yeah. I mean. Yeah, because like I, I said, know. no DNA test. It was just people who were like, yeah, no, I was, yeah, my mom was definitely in that bar. Like, okay, yeah. I guess okay. we'll count you. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> Listen, if you are one of Jay's kids, we are the story guys at gmail.com. Let's break the news right here. We want to talk to you. Um, if you want to get involved in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Number 37. We found him. If you, if you want to hang out, get involved in the show, you have something to say, you have a comment, anything like that, that's an easy way to get a hold of us. You can find us on Facebook, too, if you just search The Story Guys. And you can find us on the website, wearethestoryguys.com. Phil, as always, thank you so much for being on the show again oh, this thank week. You, man. And um, let's remind the audience, what are we doing until next time? We will keep telling or screaming stories. Nicely done. Yeah, thank you. Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories is a Story Guys production. The show is produced and edited by Brian Eichenberger. Get more stories, hear more podcasts, and book the guys for your conference or house party at wearethestoryguys.com. Copyright Boy Have We Got Stories Productions. All rights reserved.